Well, good morning again. God is so good. What a great time we've had in his presence so far. I love it whenever we meet and get that chance to worship and be together as a faith community. Well, up here with me, I have a, a friend, Joe Slaughter. He's going to speak to us this morning. Uh, Joe and I go back a ways. We go back at least 15 years. Yeah. 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 And, and you beat me in ping pong. Yeah, you, you do. Did. You still remember you that. Did. I do. I'm bitter. I'm almost over <laughs> it, but I'm not quite I'm that close to being over it. Well, if it, if it helps you time. feel any Therapy's better, I don't beat time. many people. So if that says no, anything that doesn't about make me feel better. Your skill level. That <laughs> That's the opposite. Moving yeah. on, though. Uh, Joe and Charity and their kids, they are, they are actually going to move from Seattle to Austin, Texas to plant a church. And uh, we are pretty excited for them. Somebody from Austin. I, I know. Oh. And, uh, are you from Texas, like all those people that just clapped? No, okay, probably. That's right. At least one is, my wife. Right. So we have a, we have a very close uh, Texas connection. And uh, so uh, anyways, we're going to pray for them, along with Harmony and Todd, uh, who are members of our church, who are going to be sent out with them to go yeah. plant this church yeah. in Austin, Texas. And Joe is a Spokane kid, right? Yeah, sure. You were kind of yeah. raised here, Little, born yeah. somewhere. Yeah, yeah, all those things. Over Yakima here. and Spokane yeah. and all of this. The, the Northwest, right? It's like it's all the, the same. Yeah. yeah, in a good way, in a good way, because yeah. this is God's country. It, it really is. is. I've it decided is. that. No doubt about it. So anyways, <laughs> he's throwing me off. I am. He, I'm not helping. That's his job. I'm not way. helping. I'm not, that's his I job. Want that's right. I want to well, help. I'll heckle you a little bit later. <laughs> so, so anyways, Joe, let me give you a, my quick part of the story, and then he, he'll, have, he'll have the rest of the time to fill in all the details. But uh, we met at the Church Planters Boot Camp when yeah. Tisa and I were... Uh, praying about planting this church. We went to this uh, this kind of training thing that was a week long for church planters, and that's where we met yeah. Joe and Charity, formed a friendship there. They started a church here in our community called Living Hope. Well, I guess it was called Northwest, sure. yeah. Foursquare at yeah. first, and then changed. Uh, it, they purchased a building on, North, or on South Nevada, kind of on Hamilton, I guess, right in that mm-hmm. area. And uh, the church is still going, doing strong. After they had planted and, and pastored there, how long were you there? We were there 10 years. 10 years mm-hmm. in that church. And then they moved over to Everett yeah. where they joined the staff, a larger church staff mm-hmm. that called helped develop New Life. New Life. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. New Life. And they headed up their church planning kind of mission of their church yeah. there in, and in the Everett area and helped plant churches around the area. And, uh, and, and now he's ready to go and do this church plant in Austin. And we are just so excited as a church to partner with them. Uh, His folks, Jim and Rita, Mm -hmm. are members of our church. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we Harmony has been heading up our MOPS program. And Harmony and Todd and their family, they're going to move out with them. And so we just have this really special connection as well as as the years that we've ministered together and been in the same kind of a team together here in Spokane. And uh, so we're going to have a chance to pray for them at the end of the service. And just over the months and years to come, have that opportunity to be praying for them. And, of course, if you're ever out in the Austin area, you'll know where to go to church. And, and just a, a chance to participate and be with them and send them out with our blessing and send them out Thank from you. here 
as far as uh, our church is concerned. And he has some fun things that he's going to share, I think, about this church uh, and about yeah. his life. So I'm not going to steal all your time. Let's just That's give fine. it up for uh, Joe Slaughter. Thanks, right. my friend. I love you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'd say, Mike, um, I, well, I don't want to ever be sarcastic and insult the person who just in, in, you know, invited you up, but Micah has always kind of been like an older brother of faith in me, and, and I don't want to say much older brother, but um, maybe I'll say much older brother in faith, but Micah Tisa, I love him and very grateful. Thanks for having me here. The first question I normally get, like with this whole Austin thing, and I'm going to jump into our series on, uh, on John chapter or in John chapter 8 of where you guys have been. I'm going to jump into that. But in the middle of that, the, the question I normally get, like, why, why, why Austin? Like, out of any place on God's green earth, how did you end up in Austin, Texas? And I think that's a valid question. Because in my own mind, I had never, ever thought about planting a church in Austin, Texas. Matter of fact, I'd never really thought that Texas needs any more churches. Like, it's like the buckle of the Bible belt. Like, when Jesus comes back, he's going to go over Texas and, well, let them come first, you know, because like they're all saved anyway. So it's just like, let's get them. And, and then so Austin, it was just so unique to me and how it came up and how it came up was, was this kind of longer story about, about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, my wife and I were sitting in a service and this guy was talking about, you know, leadership and really kind of giving this, you know, bold initiative, kind of want to run through a wall by the time he was done, like, okay, we'll do anything for Jesus. And I leaned over my wife and I said, we need to, we need to plant a church. We need to go. We need to, we need to do something else where we're at. We knew that transition was happening. And so that's what we were thinking, and that was about a year and a half ago. And then, and then the church that we served at, and I thought it was going to happen right around the same time, there's a lead pastor transition, uh, but how that transition happened, it was a little rough, and so we really felt we needed to stay on for another year at least uh, to be a part of this, this reconciliation, it's healing, and moving it forward into the next season. And so we waited, but then last fall, I, I knew it was time. And what I was really praying for, though, i got to be honest, I was really praying for an easy assignment. I was like, Jesus, I really, um, you know, I want something like, you know, give me a great opportunity and something that's established. I'm all in favor of something really easy right now. And I was kind of praying about that. Then I had this opportunity to spend a few weeks, several weeks, like, um, you know, visiting multiple churches throughout the region and throughout the area. And do you guys remember, this happened, oh man, not quite a year ago, but but when that Kansas City chief football player, he was out all night with his girlfriend and partying, and then things went wrong and went downhill, and he shot his girlfriend. And then after he shoots his girlfriend, he goes back over to the, the football stadium facilities, and then he kills himself in front of his coach. And I remember that weekend. It was a really defining moment. I, I was talking with my son, Sam, in our, in our kitchen right after I'd been to just visiting another church. And I remember visiting that church and just thinking it was, it was hard for me as a Christ follower to figure out how to find Jesus in the middle of what was taking place. And I just remember just visiting churches and having all this and this culmination of this guy uh, having just committed suicide. And I'm talking with my son, Sam, he's 15 years old and I'm in the kitchen and I'm just kind of having one of those emotional moments. And so I'm like, you know, Sam and this guy, you know, he makes one decision and it's another bad decision and it snowballs downhill. And this guy, you know, said, this is why we need to plant a church. And so I'm like having this emotional, my 15 year old son's looking at me like, dad, you have so many issues. I don't even know what's wrong with you. But so he's having this like whole thing and he's just like, you know, then, then this is what he says. Well, Dad, let's plant a church. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. You know, so I'm like, all right, we're going to plant a church. Because I didn't want to. I wanted, to. I wanted an easier assignment. I'm like, okay, we'll plant a church. And so then I'm thinking, all right, so where are we going to plant a church? We go through this whole process, like kind of like November through 1st of January. Like we're dialing it. Okay, there's God. There's two places. We'll plant a church in Lake Stevens, the community that I live in. Because it needs a healthy, dynamic church. And it just needs one that's focused on people far from God. 
Or, Jesus, I'll go way far away from you. I will travel to the ends of Snohomish County, to North King County, and uh, I will plant a church in North King County because, you know, I just want to stretch that 15, 20-minute drive for you. I will do that because I'm so committed to your ways. And uh, so I'm having this conversation. I have set up this meeting with Dave Beach. He's the district supervisor, you know, over Washington and whatever else. And I have this meeting in early January, and I go in with them, and Charity and I were together, and we sit down. We have this two-hour meeting, and I, like, I tell them everything. I'm like, okay, this is what we're feeling. This is what we're sensing. We're supposed to start a church. We're thinking Lake Stevens or, or, the, or North King County. What do you think? We lay it out, have a long conversation, talk through all the details. And he's like, hey, Joe, we're behind you. We're with you. Whatever you want to do, either place, we support you. Um, you know, go get them. And then, and then at the end of that time, he goes, well, let's just, you know, let's just pray about this and we'll just lay it before the Lord. And then, uh, and then you know, we'll talk in the next couple of days. And I'm like, shoot, that's great. Okay, so he starts praying, and I'm like, you know, let's pray over God's blessing. And this is what he does. You know, God, I pray you bless Joe and Charity. And I'm like, yes and amen. That's what I want to. And then he gets to the end of this prayer after like a 10-minute prayer. He goes, God, and we just put it before you. If you want to change their plans, even at this late hour, we just open that up to you. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't agree with this. Like, <laughs> I agree with everything until right now. Like, right now, it's like, Jesus, no and no amen. I'm like, not going there with you. I'm like... Whatever, Dave, this is really, I mean, maybe that's like a spiritual thing you're supposed to do at the end, like put it all before him. But I'm like, no, I disagree. But anyways, God bless you. I still love you. We're almost friends. So I, so we get done with the meeting and I leave and, and uh, Charity and I are, are going out the way. And you said like a little small chat on the way out. And I said, so Dave, what are you doing for the rest of the week? He goes, well, I'm heading down to Austin, Texas, and I'm going to meet with this guy named Dave Coffey and another guy named Bill Gross to talk about church planning. And I was like, you know, have fun, Wahoo and chocolate milk, go to get him, Texas, you know, go down, this will be great for you. And, and we left, and that was great. So Thursday morning, this thing, that happens on Monday, Thursday morning, I get this phone call from Veach. He goes, Joe, I want you to listen to me. And I'm like, what? He goes, Joe, I want you to prayerfully consider planting a church in Austin, Texas. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not planting a church. I mean, like, this is just, no. And, and he goes, listen, I want you to just, Austin is different than the rest of Texas. You have to understand that. I'm like, Dave, no. And then I'm thinking in the back of my mind, I gotta be honest. I'm like, Jesus, you are not going to ask me to move to Austin, Texas. So I'm thinking the whole time. I'm like, no, this is not how this is gonna work. But you have to do the right thing. I mean, he's a district guy. So like, yeah, I'll pray about it, whatever. So I get off the phone with him, get off the phone with him. And I, and I called Charity and I'm like, Charity, you're never gonna believe this. I just got off the phone with V. He wants us to pray about planting a church in Austin, Texas. And Charity goes, yeah, I knew he was going to call us when we left the office on Monday. And I'm like, Jesus, you can't tell my wife first. That is like so not, I was like, so not right. And then she goes, yeah, this morning I was looking at line, online at houses in the Austin area to see what the price of living was. And I'm like, oh, so frustrated. The problem was I'm far more Jonah in this whole story. So I'm like, so frustrated. So I call coffee because this is what Dave each told me when he, right before I hung up, he said, listen, coffee's on the road right now driving and uh, he's expecting your phone call. So he's expecting to call in the next couple hours. So I'm like, okay, I call him. And so I talked with them and he says, would you and Charity just really just pray about it? And I said, all right, we'll pray about it. So we went in that night, we talked about it prayed about. I called him the next day. And so seriously, in my mind, I came up with this whole plan. I'm going to tell him the type of church that I know he would not want planted. It's the least churchy type thing. Come up with this whole idea how I'm going to communicate this to him so that when he says no, I'm off the hook. I totally have this plan. And so I get on the phone with him on Friday and I'm like, listen, listen, this is the type of church we're going to pray, a plant. It's going to be messy. It's going to be people all over the place. It's going to absolutely be crazy. It's not like any type of church that you're normally going to see in Texas and whatever else. And then when I get done with this big wholesale sales pitch and then expecting him to tell me no, he goes, that's exactly why we have you on the phone. 
And I'm like, oh, man. And so, and so it gets worse. And so then we go down there. So then we go down there. So like a week later, we're in Austin. And, and it was one of those like, week later, we're in Austin. We're visiting. We fly in. It's a long day. And we go around. We visit the, the city. And we go out to dinner. And we come back to our hotel room. And, and so Charity and I, we're like, well, we need to really pray about this whole thing. And I'm doing one of those things. Like, we're really praying. And by praying, what I really mean is whining a lot to Jesus. And so I'm like, honestly, I'm having like, Jesus, why would you ask us to move here? This doesn't make sense. My kids are older. And my oldest son is a about to turn 16. He's going to be a junior next year. I got twin girls. They're just cute little adorable girls. They're going to be ninth graders next year. They're in a great community. I have lots of friends. I have an eight-year-old. I mean, it doesn't matter. He's just whatever. It's an adventure. But you know, for the older ones, like I'm totally concerned. Like, why would you do this? This is going to be so hard. Don't you know how tough this is? And I'm seriously, I'm having one of those absolute pitch of it before Jesus, you know, type of moments. And, and I felt God say, Joe, you are looking at this through your eyes like the spies did when they went into the promised land. And I need you to look at this through my eyes. And so when you see the city tomorrow, I want you to see this as I would see it. And it changed everything. I was totally caught in that moment, though. I had this moment, and Jesus just reads me where I'm at and what I'm really missing. And he eats my lunch, so to speak. And the next day, this couple who was from the Austin area drive us around for like six hours throughout the city, telling us how hard it is to plant churches, how terrible of an area it is, how this is a church planter's graveyard. And through it all, I absolutely fell in love with the city. And what I became, what I came aware of in this, in this whole reality is Austin is a city of 1.7 million people, but 85% of them don't go to church, have no religious affiliation. It is a city that is going by 40,000 people per year. Fastest growing city in America. It is growing off the charts. It is the live music capital of America. It is beautiful. It is gorgeous. It has so much going on for it. So many positive things. A 3.1% unemployment rate. An amazing, thriving, growing community. That's expected to add 500,000 people to it in the next 8 to 10 years. Amazing, thriving place. And in the middle of that, there is severe brokenness. Not just 85% of people have no religious affiliation and don't go to church. There's more, literally, this isn't just hyperbole, there are more strip clubs than churches in Austin, which, of course, is normally fed by the sex trafficking industry. There is this broken underground community that needs to be restored. It's a city that is both beautiful and broken simultaneously. And by the time we're done praying on that uh, Saturday, we're like, okay, Jesus, we'll do it. We'll do it. We're in. Because you want us to apparently, and I can't believe we're doing it, but we're in. And so, and so we're off. But do you know those moments, and I think we all have them, where Jesus really catches us right in the middle of what's going on? And in those moments, he gives us an opportunity to allow our lives to be redirected. And it's in those moments where we have this space and time where he gives it to us to say, here's where you're at. Do you want to stay there? Or would you let me move you into a whole new place with me. I think each one of us has those moments, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's at work, whether it's in businesses or with our employees or employer, or maybe students that we go to school with, that we have moments where something breaks down and it all comes out where we're really at. And we get a moment in time where we're kind of caught in this moment where God can do something brilliant and redirecting us to a new place or we could stay on the current path that we're on. And so I want to look at this this morning for the next several minutes and just kind of look at the woman caught in adultery. Remember this from John chapter 8? And uh, the the notes follow along here. In John chapter 8, it's an amazing text where Jesus literally, in the next, whoops, 
Yep, verse next verse. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And at dawn, he appeared again at the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group and, and, and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? Well, they were using this question to trap him in order to have a basis, basis of accusing him. And as the passage goes on, next slide. We may not have a next slide. But Jesus bent down and he started to write in the ground with his finger. And when they kept questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this time, those who heard began to go away one at a time from the oldest ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir. And Jesus said, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. I love this moment. This moment ultimately portrays the type of church that I want to plant in Austin. It's the type of church community that you belong here where we have moments of response before God when we're caught. We're having moments of response. This woman who's caught in adultery, but she's not the only one that's caught in the story. The whole story and the whole timing was set up to catch Jesus in a moment to where he would be stuck and bound to something. But in the middle of all this, it's really unique. The Pharisees also had a moment of being moving forward or staying put. Each one of them is caught in their own unique way. And I want to kind of process through just kind of the three responses in, in from this text of what happens when we have those caught moments, when who we really are at our gut, what's really going on in our life, what's really taking place in our soul, what we're really thinking about comes to the surface. How do we respond with those moments? And there's kind of three responses to this text. And the first one is a religious response. So the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're expecting to kind of get Jesus and to trap him and have him be stuck, have him be, have to join with them in some type of accusation against her. Up until this point in time, Jesus had been going over to one sinner's house, one tax collector's house after another, inviting these people into faith and community. And they're trying to get this nonsense stopped and get their religious system back in order. And so they try to put the pressure on Jesus to get him to conform to their ways. And so they're given this response, Jesus, you need to tell her to be like us and you need to be like us. And, and Jesus stops them in their tracks and says, if we're going to have life change, and if we're going to move forward when we're caught, it's not because it's conformity. It won't work that way. Because when we have a religious response, it says, I need other people to be like me. I will not have people different from me. I need everyone to be like me because I'm right. And whatever standpoint we come from, we declare wherever we're at as the most right and wherever anybody else is at is the most wrong. Do you know what I'm saying by that? Does that make sense? Have you ever caught yourself saying these type of things? Because I know I have. Man, I can't believe they did that. What were they thinking? I would never fill in the blank. And then the reality is when we really think about it, well, yeah, of course we would. We've probably done just as goofy things in the whole world. I now have a 15-year-old son and I can hear my dad's words over the years saying, what were you thinking? Because I have those same thoughts. What were you thinking? But when I was 15, I was thinking I was brilliant. I was the most insightful person on God's green earth. And my son has those same moments. It's fascinating. And I look at him just like my dad must have looked at me like, 
wow, this is what testosterone does to a young person. <laughs> Go get him, tiger. It'll pass. It'll pass. Right? But a religious response says that. It says, if I'm going to accept you, it means that you have to conform and be like me. But that type of conformity doesn't actually transform. It doesn't change us. And actually what happens when we become religious is we end up doing what the Pharisees did, is we pretend and fake it and then hide. See, Jesus confronted and he asked him, listen, you guys have been in the same boat. You guys have all sinned. Not one of you could actually throw the stone. And they all went away because they all knew it was true. They all had a moment at that point in time to come clean and say, yes, we are like her, a sinner in some capacity. And they said, no, I'm not going to do it. And walked away from the moment. And so they missed it because they'd rather pretend than actually have their honest life before God be revealed and move forward with healing. The woman caught in adultery, obviously hers is a little cleaner. Hers is where you could see what's taking place in her life. She's caught in adultery. It's kind of creepy that that happened. I mean, reading the text is like, that's just weird. However, that worked out, but that's creepy. But nonetheless, here's this lady thrown before Jesus's feet. And Jesus looks at her and starts writing in the sand. And he does something unique. But what's unique when he accepts her, and we'll talk about that here in a second, is something that she she really wasn't looking for in her own life. See, what she did is she had a rebellious response. A rebellious response is says, you have to agree with me to accept me. You have to tolerate my behavior, how I am, what I am like. You have to agree that in my brokenness, I'm okay. Agree with me. And interestingly enough, whenever we act out of that type of response, we'll always find someone to agree with me. We always will. We'll always find someone to agree with us. The woman who was caught in adultery had some type of sexual brokenness in her own life. And sure enough, she found a willing partner to join her in her sexual brokenness. You will find someone to agree with you. We always will. That's what we do. Agreement always says, come and look at me and accept me right where I'm at. I don't need to change. You need to accept that this is how I am. And some type of written agreement, we're together in this. It's funny how that that works all throughout our society, isn't it? We don't want to change. We want to be rebellious. We want to define it. And so we create subcultures or cultures. And, and you think about this. I mean, even through our prison systems, they have uh, people that agree with them. Yep, you're wrong. You were, you were messed up. This is how this all went south. Yep, you're right. Think about this. The last time. The la- how do I know this is so true? I know this is so true for me. Think about the last time you were pulled over. And hopefully you're never pulled over in your entire life. Perhaps if you're like me and don't have a pure and spotless driver's record. You did not have this moment. This was not your moment when you got pulled over. You didn't say to the officer when the window came down. said, officer, thank you so much for pulling me over. I know I was speeding. I was exactly wrong in everything that I was doing. You're right in giving me the ticket. Matter of fact, please do not deduct this in any capacity off of what you may have given me. Give me the full entirety of the weight of the responsibility of what I've now broken. Matter of fact, can I have your home address so I can mail you a Christmas card to remind you and thank you for writing me this ticket today because I'm so grateful. Thank you very much, officer. There it is. Have your pen back. Anybody do that in the room? No, what do we do? Oh, I can't believe it. Do you understand? I was busy. I was going through this. These things happened. This is where I'm at today. Don't you understand? Please don't give me a ticket. Please be on my side. Please agree that every excuse that I now give you validates where I'm at currently so that we can move on and you agree with me and I don't get a ticket and I like you better. That's what we want. Is that what happens? No, the officer rolls his eyes, writes the ticket and walks away. The reality, and that's okay. That's, that's right. Because that honestly... In that capacity, that's what he's supposed to do. He's not going to agree with us because what we did was wrong. When we're in our brokenness and acting out of our brokenness, there's this propensity to say, agree with me, even when we're in the wrong. And this is what this woman in adultery was doing. And we have those moments when we're caught and when it's all before us 
and our life is there, we can say, no, this is why I'm doing this. And you have to accept me by agreeing with me and tolerating me. And in doing so, we miss our moment because the religious response isn't correct by faking it and hiding, nor is the rebellious response by saying you have to agree with me. The response that Jesus gives, which I think is brilliant in the middle of all this, he does something completely different to both of them, the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, as well as the Pharisees. He says, I'm going to accept you. And accepting is different. Accepting is much different than agreement as much as it's very much different from just pretending. What acceptance does is it says, I'm going to be with you in your mess, but believe the truth about you despite your mess. And I'm going to believe in that truth despite what's taking place in your life, that this is still your potential. And I'm not going to give up on you until you live in that potential. So Jesus, the woman caught in adultery, he he waits, he writes in the sand, everybody leaves because, and he's stuck by himself with her alone, which is interesting because you need two to three witnesses to be able to condemn. So Jesus can't condemn her even if he wanted to at that moment, of which we understand that that's not his heart in the first place. He's restorative by nature. So he has this moment of time. He gets it down to where it's just her and him. And he looks at her and he says, listen, where have the people who want to accuse you gone? Well, they left. I haven't. I don't want to accuse you either. I don't want to condemn you either. I don't want this to be the defining element of your life as this is who you're known for the rest of your life. There is more to you. When you were a little girl, you did not dream of becoming the person you are right now. That is not your story. I will not believe that about you, but I won't leave you here either. It's brilliant what Jesus does as he stays with her in her mess, allows her to confront her own reality. And then that moment of acceptance, by staying with her, he believes for her and says something that would be impossible for her to hear up until this moment. Go and leave your life with sin. You don't have to go there anymore. He believed the potential. He saw past her brokenness. He saw past the dysfunction that was taking place in her life. And he allowed her to confront her own false facade that she had put up concerning herself that that she was this type of woman and you just have to accept me he's like i'm not going to agree with you but i'm going to accept you and in that moment of power of being with and believing more she became changed and that's what happens in our own lives and that happens when we have those moments where we throw it all out before god and get real and let him read our mail, so to speak, of right where we're at currently, to where we say, Jesus, this is where I'm really at. And he says, I know. I'm not surprised. He's not like, I never knew you were there. Who knew? I know everything in the universe, but not your mind. Like, I think he's got me figured out. It's a really quick book. And he knows right where we're at. And then he says, listen, there's more. Would you be willing to go with me further than where you currently are? When we're caught, what do we want to do? Can I, can I just ask this question? What would it look like? What would it look like in your own life? Maybe the relationship with your spouse or maybe with your kids or coworkers. What would it look like if there is no capacity of faking in your response? You didn't put up any religious false pretense. You didn't put anything up. What if there wasn't any defense mechanism that pushed out and said, listen, you have to, you have to agree with me. You have, to be ju- you have to agree that, that what if that wasn't the case? What if we just began to live in a way with those around us that lived with and believed more? What would that look like? What would change tomorrow? What would change in the conversations this afternoon? 
How do you think your kids would respond if there were moments where we got right in the middle of their mess? How about at work? How about with our spouse? I mean, not that anybody's ever had one of those discussions, a.k.a. arguments with your spouse, that it says, yeah, but this is just how I am. You have to. We're forcing them to be codependent or emotionally fused as opposed to believing more about God's redemptive potential because the reality is, is humanity is broken, but we know that there's something more, isn't there? Back in the garden, God said in the beginning that he created the image of God is upon humanity. And we see that there's more to it. We know that within the midst of the brokenness, the brokenness sometimes becomes so big and sometimes it's on our, when we fake it, we just kind of want to put up a facade as opposed to living out the truth that God's with us and for us. Does that make sense? Would you do me a favor? Could I pray with you this morning and just ask God's blessing on you in these areas and moments where you maybe feel caught? Maybe you're having a moment today that you could look at your life and say, yeah, there's some areas and, and you feel caught. Would you mind if I just prayed for you and ask you to move forward in Christ and have him heal and restore? Would that be all right? God, I pray your blessing on your kids here this morning. <clears throat> that, God, they are, <laughs> you have so much love for your kids and for those who are seeking you this morning. Were, were there places in our life, Lord, where, where we're caught and we're faking it? Uh, and we're walking away, we're acting like there's nothing wrong with us, and we're very willingly putting others down, but without taking responsibility in our own life. God, would you help those moments come clean? And would you help us to feel the liberating, liberating freedom of not having to pretend and being truly where we're at? But Lord, that next area, that doesn't necessarily mean we just get to embrace our brokenness but rather, Lord, we get to be restored in that. And so there's areas where we are broken. Lord God, would you heal and restore and make whole in our souls for your own glory and goodness. And God, would we become in every way a community that is for, is for, stands with and is for people. That yeah, it's okay to be broken because we all are. And yet the cool thing about Jesus and so good about you, Lord God, is that you restore and make anew all things. That's what you're into in our own lives. And help us to be a community of faith that wells individually how we conduct our lives. We want to live like that, and we thank you for that, Lord God. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.